After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, as always, is my co-host. I'm claiming you back again. Sure. Is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hello. Yes, always. I am so glad you're (laughs) here, I'm here in spirit when I'm not actually here. (laughs) Well, someone who is here uh, over the spirit airwaves of the internet. I'm going with that. Mr. Terrence Odette is with us today. Hey, Terrence, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. All the way from exotic Hamilton. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But that gives you a nice solid grounding in like, you know, working class values and understanding, which is what Canadian film is all about, right? Uh, Absolutely. This is, uh, you know, I I come from, I was born and raised, well, not born, but raised in Kitchener-Waterloo, not far from here. So for me, it was always leaving Kitchener-Waterloo to go to concerts or sporting events. And it was either... Uh, Toronto or Hamilton, where he ended up going most of the time. So, you know, and we'd lived in Toronto for many years, but when we finally settled uh, a number of years ago uh, as to where we wanted to raise our child, we we chose Hamilton. Hamilton has such a great arts scene. It's got such a great yeah. sports scene, including and a music scene. Like yes. a lot of a lot of people, I want to see um, a lot of like rock stars and whatnot go play mm. in Hamilton. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a manageable sized city. Uh, but it's also uh, it it it's it's got to be two things about it attract me. It sits on an incredibly gorgeous piece of land that that had that you have full access to the waterfront and the you know the escarpment. Uh, Bruce Trail runs you know very close. And um, but at, at the same time, it's because of its working class background. It's it's just an incredibly unpretentious city, and so art here. Uh, you don't get any special treatment being an artist or anything like that. <laughs> You're just one of the crowd. And there's just, um, uh, I mean, that that's kind of a relief in a lot of ways. You, 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 you just, you just, you get on with it and you're a part of, you have to be a part of the community here. And, you know, and I've been fortunate enough since I've been here since in 2006 when my wife and I moved back here, because we did live here in the eighties for a couple of years um, <clears throat> to be a part of a uh, film more on an exhibition level where, where I've recently helped uh, open uh, an art house cinema here called The Playhouse, which, you know, we, we managed to bring in Canadian films and also films from around the world. And it's a, a calendar f- place and it's in an old, gorgeous uh, 1915 uh, vaudeville uh, slash cinema. It's just, it's changed. This community is ready for that again, like they, they had lost one years ago. So that's part of it too, is just that that's how close you can be to feeling, feeling like you're a part of, of something, part of the art scene. It's like the revitalization of Detroit, right? The artists came flooding back as soon as the property was available again and started yeah, making beautiful affordab- things. Yeah. Yeah. And the affordability is an issue. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, like I said, we moved here in 2006. Things were still fairly affordable. Things have changed. They're still fairly affordable compared to Toronto. And a lot of artists are the reason why Hamilton did take off. Um, uh, It just became a place where that was affordable for all kinds of arts, whether it's in the culinary arts, uh, uh, film arts, uh, painting, just, just, you know, art galleries were opening, um, music, music's always been a real core here. I mean, this is, this is the punk city of Canada, I think, you know, punk rock and, uh, teenage head and, and all kinds of great stuff come, has come out of here. 
uh, we have, you know, the super crawl and, and the regular art crawls on Friday. And those are such manageable events and fun events. And they include everybody. So it, it, it has a great, just a wonderful feel. I, I, I love it here. Now, you're a man who has made a lot of very conscientious film. We talked about your 1999 film Heater on the podcast with uh, Gavin Michael Booth, who's an awesome filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously, you're good, too. You got into Sundance. Uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about Heater and some of your other work and how you went about going uh, going through that? Well, in the mid-90s, I moved to Toronto uh, from Kitchener, um, started basically because of uh, some music work that I was doing, music television, a show I had on Vision TV of all places uh, that ran for a few seasons, uh, just singer-songwriter uh, show. And uh, also um, I was doing music videos and that just led, uh, I had all, I had wanted at that point to get to a feature, but you know, it's a door you don't really know even where the door is that you go through on that. You just, and I figured out the door is the one you create and you just basically go ahead and try and make a feature. And I was fortunate enough, uh, been working on enough music videos that I was traveling around the country and I landed in Winnipeg shooting a music video and I met a producer there who I showed him a script that I had been working on. And, uh, I, I'm very, I was had the time, especially too, I've always been very influenced by neorealist, uh, films, neorealist filmmaking, uh, whether it was the, uh, you know, the French new wave or going back to the, the Italian neorealism, uh, and in particular in the mid nineties, a lot of the Iranian cinema that was coming out, Abbas Kurstami's films in particular. Uh, also some Agnes Varda, uh, Vagabone, uh, a very influential film on heater. I just knew that I could handle writing a film about and make a film about someone with a very simple task, very much like Bicycle Thief, where it's just guy's got to get his bike back or Kurosawa's, um, I can't remember the title, of the dogs in it, about, you know, a guy has to get his, a cop who has to get his gun back. And I Stray knew, okay, dogs. I've, yeah, stray dogs. That's there, it. Like, took me <laughs> yeah. a second too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a very simple task where, you know, you have a, you have a, you've got to go somewhere within, within an hour and a half. They've got to achieve this. And if they don't, well, that's, you know, either they do or they don't achieve that goal. Um, but it's a driving force. And with heater, um, my, my wife, Alicia is a, a nurse and in particular, she's a, a street nurse at the time in Toronto. And, uh, she, one day, uh, she came home and she told me somebody offered her a baseboard heater, uh, for sale. You know, she was always getting stuff <laughs> uh, offered to her for sale. And, uh, and that just struck me as this idea. And so I developed the screenplay and that, well, what if, what if some homeless guy has this baseboard heater <laughs> and then adventure ensues yeah and like, exactly and it's it just the tiniest developed. quest for the ring it's the best yeah yeah exactly and it's but it's but it's about the quest not getting there right so it's all about what happens on the journey so that's really how that film got going and i and i also just really knew uh i'd learned so much shooting music videos about technologically how f- much i could afford to do and uh, we were able to do it on a fairly small budget at a good producer who uh, was able to keep it done. We, we did it really cheap. And this is long before within Canada we had, uh, or a couple of years before we had the um, any kind of low budget program within Telefilm. We had to convince Telefilm that we could actually make this film uh, on, on you know, at the time, $350,000, which um, wasn't a lot of money considering you had to spend probably 100 of that on, on film because there was no digital yet. <laughs> So. And everybody got a great workout hauling those cameras around gorilla style, I'm sure, in the middle of the winter. Oh, yes. And breaking down and freezing because <laughs> a very different, uh, different, a di- much different world shooting in film. Um, not one I 
terribly miss? <laughs> I, if it makes you feel better, I can tell you that digital cameras freeze just as badly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but they don't. But at least you can, you know, you can probably go to, you know, uh, uh, some electronics store like Best Buy and maybe yeah. pick up a new one. I mean, you just need to heat it up. You don't need a blowtorch or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and there is some. There was something special about shooting on film and shooting on. Uh, I mean, it was film that I had that Arthur Cooper. My uh, director of photography and my friend, who I had worked with on all, we did about 150 music videos together. We had saved short ends from every TV show that he was working on, from Kung Fu to uh, oh, Long Days, the film version of Long Days Journey into Night. Hmm. I shot so much stuff on that, on the short ends, the 200 foots at the end of the day, the 300 footers, the you know 100 footers, and we just kept them in the freezer and then <laughs> shipped them out to Winnipeg and. We shot the whole thing on basically short ends. Unbelievable, and obviously you have um, you have a social consciousness in all of your all your films, Heater especially. But I was talking earlier about your film Fall, which has a definite social conscience to it. Um, what role does social consciousness play in your art? Where do you take your inspiration from? Well, I think I think it's everything. I think you know an artist's responsibility is to not deliver answers, but certainly to reflect back the world they're seeing. Being socially conscious conscious has been you know, uh, just a part of my life, part of who I am. It's it's certainly heavily influenced by Alicia. Um, you know, we, her and I, we've been together for since 1980, and sort of her development as a, a nurse who works with the homeless population or works with the marginalized population is a big deal. But even before that, we're we're too old. Um, used to be Catholics, you know, and we were very much a part of a, a generation of uh, social conscious within within that within that structure within the catholic church um we you know we left that quite a while ago but 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 the core of what we believe in in, in the humanity and uh, hasn't left us and that's always so i, I just i am drawn to, i think art has a purpose within you know it, it should be about something it should be it should reflect something and i'm just you you, you kind of write about what you know and write about what you see so it's very important uh, every one of my films i I tend to not, you know, for me myself, I have very few films, what would you call them, sort of like, you know, uh, just knockoff kind of pleasure films, ones that you watch. I, I watch a lot of films that are I, that are speaking to me. My formal education is fairly low. And uh, so I've spent, instead of going to school, I've spent, uh, I spent my whole life just always s trying to stretch that muscle and trying to learn um, and, and certainly... Uh, of, that's just you know kind of the person that I am. Um, I'm uh, other filmmakers, you know, uh, like a Ken Loach, or um, they're very socially conscious. And he's I, when I look at what his his him making films for what I don't know, almost close to sixty years he's been making films, and he has a new one out again. This is the third one after he retired, I think. But he's <laughs> but he's you know he's he seems to have this urge and reason for making films and it seems to be he needs to he needs to remain involved in a conversation of uh, what the hell's going on with humanity and how we're acting and i feel the same way i feel i don't really you know even if i made something a little more genre it has to be about something it has to be about something that connects with uh, 
you know, between with, with, hum, with humanity and, and the world around us. Now, you picked a movie today. What movie did you pick? I picked The Best Damn Fiddler from Calabogie to Caladar. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay, of all the Canadian films you could have picked, because you came, like, right back at me. You're like, I want this. <laughs> well, Why this one? I, you know, funny thing is, is I, I, I hadn't, I knew about that film forever, because actually, Alicia, my wife, is from that area. Mm. Uh, so I've been going up to the Ottawa Valley, uh, since 1980 and I have a lot of, um, relatives and friends now there. And, uh, um, and I know the area and, and Alicia's family is from that, you know, their roots were from that kind of family that, uh, precarious work farming. And they knew about this film. They used to always say, Oh yeah, that was made up where we're from. And, and, uh, talk about the various people in it and that. So I, I only watched it probably a year and a half ago for the first time. Uh, and, uh, and I, I actually owned this screenplay. There was a book put out and I had that forever. And then, uh, at some point must've gotten rid of it or traded in or given it to somebody. Um, but watching it, I was just, I went, this is an amazing film. This is a really, really well-made neorealist film that is, should be smack dab up there with anything else in the Canadian sort of canon of films that that we've made. Uh, 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 the, the director, Peter Pearson, I, I can't say I've seen anything else that he's done, but I looked at his list and I see he's been involved in a lot of other productions as a producer and, and some as director and writer. But, you know, Chris, Chris Wiggins, oh, I, I remember him from school just because I uh, we used to watch, um, um, you know, we in class we'd watch NFB mm-hmm. 16 Mills and uh, Chris Wiggins was always in half of them playing some sort of Canadian historical character, you know, <laughs> Mackenzie King or something like that. And, you know, Kate Reed, uh, known of her work. And then, of course, it's introducing Margot Kidder. That was her first film role. Um, I just think it's a really solid film. I love, I watched it again last night before the interview. I wanted to make sure I, you know, I remembered everything about it. And I, I, it is hard to, it's one of those films where you go, why aren't we all seeing this film? Like, why are, are we not seeing this? I never went to film school, but are we seeing this in film school? Uh, this is really well made. The scenes that take that are just supposed to be, you know, at times, if you jumped into that film partway through without any score going on, like at one of the dinner scenes, you'd think you're watching a documentary. Yeah. You just, you, it's just really well done. The acting is great. Uh, obviously I'm just going to give credit to the director for being able to, to make that scene happen, to make that, make those kids, um, just be natural and have, uh, Kate Reed, my God, she, she, you'd think she was the mother of those kids, the way she's acting. And I just thought also just such a gentle, but real story and a, and a hard story, you know, and you, uh, I just really think it's a, a wonderful film. I, I think it looks great, you know, I'm, love to see it love to see it i'd love to you know to, for more people to see that film i'm there with you because i hadn't seen this before i'd seen it of course on lists as we kind of researched margot kidder i know yeah. cam you had to go on a margot kidder deep dive while you were doing superman a while sure, ago yeah but i'd never seen it either until this yeah. this podcast because i think you hear you know the words fiction and nfb and you know itinerant uh, tree shrub worker and you're like <laughs> oh man what am i getting into yeah. Um, this is heartbreaking and wonderful and joyous all at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's a slice of life. Um, and Peter Pearson, 
Jason, just uh, just so that you know. He's an interesting dude. Um, he's a documentarian who is very much influenced by uh, social commentary and social issues. Um, he has an entire series available also from the NFB. This one's available from the NFB for free. Um, so is that about Saul Alinsky, uh, who is a community organizer in the 60s and 70s, who was working directly with the civil rights movement. He was uh, a white Jewish person who was working within uh, the black community to try to get them to organize within the civil rights uh, civil rights really? movement of what their rights were, what legally they could do. And he has a three-part documentary all about him. And it's amazing. Uh, the first one's called Saul Alinsky Goes to War, and it's great. Oh, great. Oh, well, I'll, I'll look that up, actually. I, I will. I will. Um, I, yeah, I think this is a part of our... You know, they talk about Canadian films and getting a film made and, and uh, uh, you know, you can go to all kinds of, I'm sure you've been to all kinds of panels and things where they talk about how we can make our, basically they're always asking how we can make our films big and huge and successful mm. with no money. Um, but they're, but they forget, you know, they kind of, why do we have all these, these kind of personal films, these neorealist films, this, and it, and it's because I think that people like Peter and myself where we're, we're driven to do this enough where we don't really listen to the word no. And so when, when, even if the funding gate kind of closes on you, you find another avenue because you have something to tell, you want to do something. And, 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 you know, and it's great to know that this is something like Peter has had a history then of going from, you know, make you know, remaining socially, making socially relevant material that still can be, you know, engaging and entertaining, uh, at, at the same time. So, I mean, I find that encouraging because it, it's difficult here when you are trying to get a film off the ground and you're being put up against sort of a, a standard of, well, how commercial is this? How can this, you know, sell and you're, and you're, you know, how can you sell anything like, like, you know, what's going on What this past weekend, whatever it was called the end of times or end game or, you know, the, um, <laughs> marvel universe thing mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know how can you compete against that you, you know, just you, can't you can't, you can't. No. and you shouldn't and it's, you're not supposed to no it's, and I, I think the idea that people are like well we're making these movies that no one sees but i don't think they see how far the influence of them goes because the people who see them then go on to make things mm. that are completely influenced by them that are big money makers that that do things they inspire other people yeah well and i think yeah good good filmmaking i mean i'm i certainly I'm standing on the shoulders of people like, like Peter and didn't even know it. It's, you know, I, hopefully some, I don't know, maybe some young kid's going to stand on my shoulders of, of, uh, and, and continue to make, you know, hopefully make films that, that mean something, but also, uh, advance. I mean, I was just as interested in the actual craft of filmmaking as, as anything, as I am in the stories that I'm telling, wanting it to be, you know, wanting to be better at my craft, um, uh, I, I happen to, for the most part, I get, well, I guess a hundred percent, I'm, I end up being the writer and director. That's not, you know, I, I'm not really planning to do that and, and definitely not against looking at screenplays, but, uh, um, but it's just kind of what drives me. So I feel that these, like, as you said, these films that we're making will always somehow be seen even by a few people. And I, and I, and I've, I've felt that myself when it's been nice when, uh, when I when somebody 
you know, picks you up and said, that's happened to me a number of times, especially with heater where they just say, oh, I love that film. I'm, I'm watching that film and you're thinking, Oh my God, I didn't know anybody watched that film. But you know, you, you meet people and you realize, or somebody came up to me a number of years ago and said, Oh, I studied your film in school. And I went, Oh my God, geez. you know, <laughs> where was my check no for idea. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Checks. <laughs> film checks. <laughs> But I think this film also very much makes an argument for the importance of government funding, not just because it's about government funding, but more about the actual filmmaking process itself. Um, uh, this was part of a program, uh, this film was part of a program called The Challenge for Change. Uh, the French language equivalent was Société Nouvelle, I'm sorry, my French is very bad right now, um, that ran from 1967 to 1980. The NFB, I don't know if people know this, they innovated a whole bunch of portable camera technology. So like a lot of the handy cams and like steady cams and stuff we don't have that without the national film board because they were like okay we have to get these all the way up north in the middle of nowhere to be able to film whatever what are we going to do oh let's innovate whole new things um so to be able to use all this technology they then wanted people to make films about their communities so this was pitched by peter pearson and they were like yeah that sounds great go out into the ottawa valley and shoot all wow. this so it looks as great as it does because they're using all of this government funded innovation right i i did know that that's fascinating i also really feel like I've been born at the wrong time. I should have been born another 10 years before or something. Because I feel very much that I, I, I wish for that to be what we do now. Because yeah. I still think that stuff's relevant. Like I, like I even even watching um, uh, Fiddler, I mean, it's still a relevant film. I mean, we don't, there's probably not that many people who live on a, with a wood stove uh, up there. But, you know, they're pretty damn close. And and in other communities too within us, like to live at that level of poverty, live at that level of of a, a different kind of understanding of how they how they want to live their life. Um, I know my uh, you know having been up there and and uh, um, some of the relatives that I know that I have um, did the kids who are my age did grow up with a just a wood stove heating the place, but yet they all went to university. They all you know so it it, it, it I, I find. Just learning about our different communities is uh, through film. Like that, I mean, that's really how I traveled. Um, watch films, um, learn about, learn a different side through an artist's eye about about Iran. Uh, uh, you know, during the '90s, um, learn about post-war Italy by just watching a, an honest film like Bicycle Thief. Um, it's it's very much that. This is this film was made in '68. So, I mean, that's a, kind of an important time in our in our in our history. It's a very long time ago now, and we were at a different place. We were just celebrating a hundred years of being a country. We were not dealing with uh, indigenous issues very well. Um, we were just on the, we were with the other Trudeau at that time. I think by '68 or maybe he was '68 '69. Yeah, so you close. know, it was, a, it was a different world. And I find that yet you're looking at this film, and it could be. You, you can totally relate to the characters. Some of that is just due to the really good performances. I think Chris Wiggins, and this has got to be one of his finest roles that I've seen him in. Um, Kate Reed, the same thing. Just brilliant, wonderful, real 
people and i'm so happy that i wish like i wish we did more of this with the with the nfb uh, you know yeah totally they've started producing like they, they produce and they put money towards more films uh that are fictional that have a documentary element to it like they they help produce stories we tell um we just uh talked about at at the fast runner uh that is a fictional film but has some like documentary elements to it so they're getting better at being like okay we have these moments of like cultural preservation that's happening within a fictional story how do we then work with that and i think that's exactly what this does is it's a cultural preservation thing within a fictional story because it's a lot of locals and i mean there's that one scene when they're in town and you're Mm. like oh yeah this is all just people this is all b-roll yeah 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 definitely yeah that's where the small camera come in handy you can tell that scene where where uh, chris wiggins is checking out a gun with his buddy yeah and uh, it's like you know just take the camera inside we don't have to worry about sound we you know you can just see just go inside and shoot from shoot from the other side of the window shoot out which was interesting they had their guns outside because i watched that scene twice i went wow those guns were outside (laughs) (laughs) for me it's the bathtub scene when they're all having uh, having the bath before they go out i'm like (laughs) how are you moving those cameras with all those squealing children like that's amazing yeah. yeah Oh, but it, and the camera works good too. It's it's not you know it's it, it's not overly jittery or anything like that. It's, yeah. I mean it was probably old airy sixteen BLs or something like that. You know which was considered a a portable camera. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Also considering yeah. what nineteen sixty eight thought portable was. Now, yeah. we're, we're all sitting in a place, uh, I'm assuming we all have liberal leanings. So yeah. uh, I see this film from a particular point of view where I want to just yell at him, stop being a stubborn ass and take the money. Don't be so yeah. prideful. Um, Cam, do you feel the same way? Terrence, do you feel the same way? I mean, for yeah. me, yes, of course. But I also do really appreciate the ending where it kind of doesn't necessarily pass a judgment. It, it, the fact that it is... You do see the, the you you don't see these people being super miserable for the most part. Like this guy is gonna die. I mean that's bad, uh, and he's gonna leave this family in trouble. But but the fact that they you just you mostly see their life as joyous and pleasant. So it's just kind of left to you to think about how you feel uh, about what he's doing. Uh, and and I think that that's a lot more powerful than. Uh, like if it had have gone on to show his death or uh, you know something like that yeah it's not i don't think he's moralizing it at all which is the the beauty of of the film uh, i think he i don't think he's making that judgment call i think yeah, and I, and i really appreciate that I, I of course i don't i would say yeah buddy think of those <laughs> 10 kids you got yeah. like you know it's, i'm i'm looking at all those social concerns but i'm also going Okay, but especially in a time like now where we are being so partisan, it's and then you know we have this divide, especially I think in Ontario where we mm. where we have you know Doug Ford and and, yeah. and I'm not you know you realize that a lot of people up from that area voted yeah. for this this government, um, and and so there's a lot of for me personally there's a lot of maybe reasons where I'm going what the hell are you doing like take the money. Um, it's, it's not going to hurt you because we know this, but we also have to remember this is 68. This is, this is a time when, uh, when, uh, when this kind of welfare was given differently. Like you also, you also saw what she, what that, what the woman said to him was, you know, you, or there, there's no strings attached. You, you just have to allow us to come and inspect the house every now mm. and then. And, and that inspection has a history in Canada in particular. We didn't have welfare um, until 
sometime in the 30s when uh, Bennett brought in uh, a kind of welfare, I forget what it was called. Um, but, you know, you someone came to your house and looked through your cupboards to make sure you didn't, you weren't buying the wrong things. Make sure you weren't buying alcohol. Uh, make sure you weren't buying over, you know, your extravagant things. Mm. Or you could be cut off. And I think, you know, you got to, I think that character himself, it's 68, he was probably in his 30s. Yeah. So he would have grown up in the depression and he would have, his character itself would have remembered that when the government was intrusive and, and also on, you know, and very, very much patriarchal over, or standing over top of, of, of everybody and saying, you can't do this. If you want our money, you have to do this. And, you know, we, that we had work camps 20 years before that there were work camps that men who were homeless and had no job were, were virtually forced to go to. So this is, I think all part of that film, uh, it, it helps you to look at it because because you ask, you will ask those questions. Well, why won't he take it? Is it just pride and ignorance? And um, uh, certainly some of it, I I look I, I I saw it as being somewhat some ignorance. But I also think that he's um, in his pride, he's allowed to have some. And they did find. You're right. You're right. They I mean they found joy. They weren't. You know, the last line of him saying, and on the list, of course, beer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's not supposed to be drinking. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to die. And he knows he's going to die. And, and I don't know if he, maybe he just thinks, well, you know what? We're just, life's going to go on. And she thinks that she's not mad at him. Mm -hmm. You know, his wife is, she knows she's fine. She's, they're laughing at, oh, as if you're going to quit drinking, Yeah, you know, and it's not in a cruel way. It's in a, oh, you love your beer. You're loving, you're a love, love man. I love you. And, you know, but, but Mar, Mario Kidder's character, the next generation, she's moved on. She's working at Bell. You have to ask <laughs> how much, how much, you know, hopefully, hopefully she managed to work there long enough to get a good retirement by now. <laughs> but I also love the fact that they chose to have a daughter instead of a son and go with that direction, right? That she yeah. was able to leave and get a job and that they do mm -hmm. show, you know, the ramifications that the dude that she was messing around with who's horrible just went ahead and married somebody else. You know, it's like oh, you yeah. women are interchangeable. <laughs> you, you know, you're absolutely right. That's an interesting point. Um, where along the line did they decide that it's going to be a daughter? Because, you know, especially then that's kind of brave right that, that wouldn't be your that wouldn't be your script 101 choice um would be the daughter but yet she's and and also their relationship was good it wasn't yeah. you know they went off on that that day trip together to set traps um and she wanted to go with her father she wanted to time she you know told her younger brother you know didn't complain and want him to come yeah she wanted her time with her father and they have a they had a really nice relationship there was never anything um, you know, overly, you know, I don't know, uh, just, he wasn't a bad guy to her in the sense that he wasn't a, a mean father or anything like that. He was a fairly loving man who just, who's kind of had his wisdom, right? He yeah. just kind of knew, you know, life doesn't always work out the way you want it. So, you know, you get lemons, you make lemonade kind of thing. So I love that. And, and you're right. It's good. So that gives it almost, are you, are you suggesting, um, too, that it, that it, it's, you can sort of give a, an interesting feminist read? Onto the onto the film. Oh, 100 percent. And I actually saw this almost as a companion piece for New Waterford Girl. Like it really, oh, wow. it reminds me a lot of that and that sort of like uh, the can-do character who sees her situation, who knows 
who knows that she can do more, that she's capable of more. It's just figuring out how to, but she, but she still loves her family and she loves, uh, she loves the people around her. It's just navigating through that to what the next thing is without offending anybody, without right. taking away that pride. And she makes that choice. Exactly. She jumps into that car and she goes and they don't stop her. Nope, no. And the fear that the men have in, in education, like that very first bit um, where Kate oh. Reed is chasing the little boy to go to school to mm. like get that education because she understands the, the importance of that. And he just gets in the car with all the guys yeah. who are like, screw school, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. And, and so you see that right away and you're like, why are the women making the smart choices, right? Why, why are they doing the things that are best for the future? Yeah. Oh, it's like that's... the Simpsons, you know, all the women are brilliant <laughs> and all the men are like, oh boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, um, and, that's, that's painfully true. <laughs> well, we're at that time of favorite moments, guys. I know we've covered a bunch. Uh, Terrence, do you want to start us off with your favorite moment? In this film, my yes. favorite moment is got to be when the, when Margot Kidder uh, goes off with Chris Wiggins. I just think uh, it's a touching uh, moment. I have a daughter who's uh, uh, 20, 21. Um, I have a great relationship with her. She's, you know, kind of halfway out the door, um, on her own life. And, and it's just these, those moments, I think it just took me, uh, uh you know, at this particular time, um, just how important that relationship is for a young woman to make those choices. He didn't stop her from making a choice and he didn't demand she not do something. She, he had his preferences. And she, I think that's where she got her strength to leave is, is knowing her parents weren't going to hit her or hurt her or stop her. And so I, I just appreciate it. I loved the scene because I loved, I love the look of that. I mean, I have a, I have to say I have a, you know, a, um, probably a, just a, a bit of a, a nostalgic feel for that, for that black and white grainy <laughs> film and the sound quality too. There's something very NFB about the whole thing, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, and I, I think I loved the fact that it was shot at either fall or spring and, uh, you know, you can see their breaths and they're in the water and you know, it's cold and wet and he's wearing that knitted <laughs> sweater and, and, you know, and she's chugging along with them and they're having this kind of heart to heart talk. And I just, I just really appreciated that. How about you, Ken? Um, I mean, I'm I'm always just a big guy for I love just kind of functionality. I love to see how how things work. And I think growing up in in Alberta, uh, I am familiar with this where they just were tossing the kids in the back of a of like a trailer being carried behind a truck to go to the party. Uh, I just like that oh, yeah. where they're calling out like, oh, this one and now this one. And, and they're also strategizing the order to put the children in for, <laughs> I suppose, some level of safety. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen that before. <laughs> Who sits on whose lap? And yeah. <laughs> Nine yeah, and of us headed off to the really, X in the back. Yeah. 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 And the truck gate really secured. Wasn't real secure, wasn't it? No, no. <laughs> it looked like it looked like he'd built a trailer by hand that he was oh, yeah. oh, carrying. Much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, once they had that extra one, so they couldn't fit in the cab yeah. anymore, it was time to build the trailer. Yeah. I uh, got it. Uh, and then uh, for me, you know, any moment they have where you watch Margot Kidder be quiet, like she just sits there and she just thinks, and it's so beautifully captured, and you're like, oh, I'm just watching a human being be. And it never feels weird, and it never feels forced, and it never feels voyeuristic. Um, none of mm -hmm. this feels voyeuristic, which is weird for cinema verite. Um mm -hmm. 
and it never feels creepy. You're just like, no, I'm just watching, I'm just watching her be. And I, I really love that. And I think it's very advanced to have someone behind the camera who's male look, and I'm presuming heterosexual, uh, look at females like that through that lens, especially in 1968. I think especially that scene when, um, when she comes back after being away for the night. Yeah. You know? And and she comes in and yeah I just yeah being with her yeah that was that's a beautiful like those you're right spending a lot of time with her, watching her quietly is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, that's everything, Terrence. How do people find you? How do people find your movies? Somewhat online. <laughs> um, not in Canada as much as in the states, which is weird. I have uh, you know Amazon uh, has them you know I think on their their rental suite plus also um you know heater not so much heater occasionally pops up on tmn and various networks i'm about to do it's a 20th anniversary heater so i have just secured doing a new uh 4k uh, scan the the internet which is really i'm amazed that uh, archives canada is is helping because they have the they have them the elements and uh, so if it's finally going to get a digital visual uh, visual treatment that it never got. And I'm hoping that that's going to be give it a bit of a new life and maybe some screenings around the country in the fall. Uh, I know that fall, my last film is uh, available for the most part now on, uh, you know, iTunes or, or DVD and iTunes. And then uh, some of the other films are just at this time hard to get. St. Monica and Sleeping Dogs are both uh, difficult films to get uh, other than maybe on uh, St. Monica on DVD. Mm. Now, you also mentioned that, of course, you've got the Playhouse in um yeah. in Hamilton. Uh, where do people uh, check that out online? PlayhouseCinema.ca. Beautiful. All right, Cam, yeah. how about you? Um, I'm on Twitter at CamFest, and I'm on Instagram at iCram if you want to see all the movies I review. Um, and otherwise, yeah, just check out HollywoodSuite.ca. I write a lot there, and uh, every once in a while a little video shows up with my face in it. <laughs> and I always it always brightens my day just a sure. little bit to see you recommending things and talking smart about movies. <laughs> um, and then, as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters, Atla Shrimpton. That's the masculine, the Shrimpton over there. Um, and then come chat with us on at RCM Pod on the Twitters. I'm uh, on there all day because I work from home. So <laughs> what else am I going to do but respond to you? And I'd love to hear what you guys think of this movie. Um, I think that's just about everything. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure speaking with with you both Uh, um, wonderful education I learned a lot (laughs) and so did we let's go get a moose head (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast if you like what we're doing please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher it helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.